Hey, we're going to jump in. My name is John. I'm about to jump into the Bible. How many of y'all are excited about the Bible? Anybody ever read it before? It's a pretty good book. It's a good book. World's bestseller. Um, before I do that, I have an exciting announcement for you. The moment that almost all of us have been waiting for in two weeks on Sunday, June 13th, we will be back at Western High School. Praise the Lord for our grand reopening of Sunday services at Western. It has been over a year, and I cannot wait. So online, if you're like, I can't do Saturdays, Pastor John, it's too crazy. June 13th, mark your calendars. We will see you there. It's going to be awesome. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet wherever you're watching from, in the room or online. We're in the midst of a series called The Leadership Challenge, dialoguing through the book of Nehemiah. The context is a world in crisis, full of divisions, full of dissension. The walls are broken down. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And in the midst of the chaos where it is so tempting to be hopeless and despondent, God calls a leader. And by the way, he has not stopped doing that. He's doing that right now. And he's calling you. Last week we talked about how it's not just enough to get God's burden and God's heart and God's vision and God's plan. You need a team of people and you need to create a healthy, y'all remember what we talked about last week? Culture. What's the culture that you have inherited and that you are creating through your leadership? We said that culture is two things. It's what you teach and what you tolerate. Somebody was paying attention. Bonus points to you and treasure in heaven. What you teach and what you tolerate. And Nehemiah establishes a healthy kingdom culture. If you missed it, encourage you to check it out later on our podcast or our YouTube channel. Search Greenhouse South Florida and you can find it. This week, I want to continue in Nehemiah's story, jumping into chapter 8, talking about spiritual leadership. Turn to your neighbor and say spiritual. Turn to your other neighbor like you mean to say spiritual spiritual. We're talking about spiritual leadership. It is vital and essential. Let me catch us up to speed. At the very beginning, Nehemiah hears about the walls in his hometown of Jerusalem. They're broken down. He's burdened. So he prays. He fasts. Four months go by and he has the spiritual audacity to be sad in the presence of the king. Could have been punishable by death. Instead, God gives him favor. The king asks what he wants, what he needs, gives him all the resources. Nehemiah goes. The first thing he does before he builds a wall is he builds a team. That'll preach. He builds a team, but he realizes I can't just get the right people. I have to get the right culture. And so he teaches the right things and does not tolerate the wrong things. But people, Nehemiah realizes, need a standard. Leaders need a standard. We need to have some sort of foundational guiding north star in a day and age in a world that is so confusing with so many thoughts thrown our way. Enter Nehemiah chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Nehemiah 8 is our text. The Florida Panthers, for all three of us that we're watching in care, are out of the playoffs. But the Miami Heat... Still have a little bit. Somebody say, oh, no, yeah, we're hanging on by a thread, but we're still in it kind of almost maybe if God does a miracle. Please, Jesus, any Heat fans? Justin Benjamin, where are you at? Justin's on a hope and a prayer right here with the Heat. That's not the point. It's about the Bible. Y'all stop being so carnal. Here we go. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their town, all, everybody say all, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. Now they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and say it again, all 
who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Some of y'all thought your church was long. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who can understand. And say it again, all, you see, does anyone notice a theme happening here? All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And beside him on his right stood a bunch of names I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. Y'all know the, the book, right? We're, the, the book, the, the book, the Bible, the book. He opened the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it and all the people stood up. See, it's biblical. You're like, oh, we always do this at Greenhouse. Look at that. It's biblical. Giving y'all some steps on your Fitbit too. As he opened it, the people stood and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. This is good. I like this interactive Bible reading. This is kind of nice. This is good. They bowed down and worshiped. You don't have to do that right now if you don't want to. They bowed down and worshiped with their faces to the ground. Then they had the Levites, a bunch of other names. They're amazing names. Not going to read them. He instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God. Check this out. Making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy. It's set apart. It's consecrated to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for... There it again. All the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And finally here, verse 10, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not grieve, and here's the famous line from Nehemiah, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Say it with me, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Turn to a neighbor and say it like you mean to say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Join me as we pray, God give us strength. And give us joy in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn to your neighbor, give him a high five if you're with him, an air high five if you're not. Find your seats. I'm excited about this one if you cannot tell yet. You ever driven with someone who didn't quite know where they were going? Anybody ever been in that spot? Don't point. Don't point right now. This is not the moment to point at your spouse. But you ever been in that predicament? Uh, my wife and I have been married now almost 10 years. We're about to celebrate a decade, the mercy of God, that she is here with me. Um, but a decade of, of marriage. And I remember when Nancy and I were first dating, some of you have heard about the ridiculous and crazy things that I did to attempt to win her favor. The devil had blinded her eyes to the truth that God's will stood before her in the form of one John Lash. And so there was lots of moments, but I I remembered one this week that was uh, particularly palpable in its memory. Uh, Nancy has two siblings. You might not have known that. She has a younger brother, Marvin, and an older sister, Celeste. Now, Celeste, the older sister, love you, Chella, if you're watching. We call her Chella. She's amazing. She lives out the reality of her name, Celestial. She is celestial in all her ways. She floats around the room. She's so sweet and godly and precious and, and full of joy, and she's amazing. But she is not great at directions. I hope you know this by now, Chella. She's not the best. Now, now, I did not know this, okay? And so Nancy came and she said, hey, me and my sister, we're going to this concert. You want to go? I was like, definitely. She's like, do you know, want to know who the concert is? I was like, I don't care. If you're going, I want to go wherever you're going. I'm in. And she's like, okay. So I can't even tell you. Do you remember what the concert was, who it was? It was probably like a worship band. Nancy's so godly. And so we were going to this concert, and it was in Orlando. We were in Gainesville. It was a Saturday night. 
I said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm game for the concert. Um, they were going to be driving. I said, but listen, I got to be back. I was working at a pastor in Greenhouse Church in Gainesville. Oh, thank you, Lisa. This map is helpful. So, so we went down to Orlando. Concert was awesome. And on the way back, um, I am particularly skilled at sleeping basically anywhere. Any of y'all got someone, any of you like that? I've got like the gift of spiritual narcolepsy. I can kind of just knock out whenever I want. So, so we got in the car, and I'm like, this is cool. We're going to go from Orlando to Gainesville, and I'll sleep, and we'll get back like midnight. It's not ideal. I got to be up early to work at the church as a pastor, but it'll be fine. So I thought. So I go to sleep. We're driving, and the next thing I know, I, I, I wake up, and things just don't look familiar. Like I'm like, this, this is strange. This is, this, is not, like, this is not the trip that I remember from, from Orlando to Gainesville, and so sure enough, I look up, and the sign says, Tampa. Now, if you're not familiar with geography, let me, let me show you the map here. We were in Orlando. We were supposed to go to Gainesville. We end up in Tampa. I was like, in Jesus' name. That, that, right there, I start speaking in tongues under my breath. I'm like, oh, Lord. And I had a choice. I'm like, do I lose my mind and say, how in the world are we in Tampa? But remember, I'm trying to impress Nancy. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and I was just like, Went back to sleep. <laughs> Went back to sleep. Ten years later, won the girl, and it was the best decision I maybe ever made. But we firmly found in that moment that GPS is a gift from God. Can I get an amen? Here's my point. Chella, love you. You're amazing. Hope you use the GPS. Here's my point. It's not just individuals with driving. I want to use this if you'll permit me, and I'm going to do it whether you permit me or not. But I want to use this as an operating analogy. We humans need help with direction. There's so many opinions out there. How to live, and, and if we're talking leadership, how to lead, and what to do, and how to structure, and, and the self-help book section is the largest one in the bookstores that nobody goes to anymore, and how are they still around? I don't know, not the point. But if we're honest, we need help. We need help figuring it out, and the question becomes, where do we turn? See, great leaders realize their need for a north star. Great leaders realize their need for a guiding constitution because our emotions are fickle. And if we go in the ebbs and flows of our emotion, we will be a spiritual roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster, incredibly difficult to follow. And you can tap into mission, mission and vision and strategies and values. But if you follow Jesus, and if you're here and you're not yet a Jesus follower, key in and listen in. We're thrilled that you're here. But if you follow Jesus, your true north, your defining constitution is what? Give you a clue. The Bible. Thank you, Linda Sauls. Your guiding constitution is what? The Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. It is God's word. And here is my premise. We as humans and we as people of God are lost without God's word. If last week I tossed out the thought that great leaders are great listeners, this week I want to make the proposal to you that great leaders are actually great followers. They follow God and take him at his word. One core thought, one big idea. I'd encourage you to take some notes, jot this down so you could peruse at your leisure later. Here's my big idea. God's word forms God's people and God's joy is their strength. God's word forms God's people, and God's joy is their strength. 
Point number one, three points if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this first one down. Great leadership is tied to a standard. Everybody say standard. Great leadership is tied to a standard. We're introduced to a new character here in the story. His name is Ezra. Now Ezra, remember if you remember from the first sermon, the book of Nehemiah is unique in that for the majority of uh, at least Jewish history, Nehemiah was actually combined with Ezra. It was actually called Ezra-Nehemiah. It was one book because it's actually one story with multiple leaders that interweave themselves throughout. In the Middle Ages, it was split into two, probably because it was long, and so we are now introduced to Ezra. So Ezra, like Nehemiah, who ended up being sort of a, a cultural leader, a thought leader, a construction leader, if you will, with the, with the wall issue, Nehemiah was also a leader. He was a leader among the exiled Jewish people in Babylon, but Nehemiah was, I mean Ezra, I'm sorry, Ezra was unique in that he was a spiritual leader. In fact, we know that Ezra, he was a Torah scholar. He was a teacher. Ezra goes and where Nehemiah has a vision for the wall, Ezra has a vision for the word. Ezra has a vision to bring about social and spiritual renewal for the people of God because you see the issue is not just logistical. The issue is not just that their walls are broken down and they are in danger of marauding armies. The issue is that their walls are broken down spiritually and they are in danger of being conquered in ways that are much more long-lasting and eternal. Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they join forces and their mission is to bring the people back to a common standard, the word of God. This is interesting in that it's a similar scene to what God does on Mount Sinai with Moses. It's almost a parallel. Bible scholars say it's, it's almost like God is giving a picture of his people getting a do-over. How many of y'all are thankful God gives do-overs to people like us? Like, whoo, praise the Lord. I've used a few thousand, it feels like. And so God's given his people the shot. He said, listen, you rebelled. You turned from me. I gave you warning. You went into exile. But now here are my words once again. How many of you know God gives his word not to spoil our fun, but to set us free? And so he gives them the word of God. And Ezra and Nehemiah realize, listen, we got to get the right burden, the right vision, the right heart, the right strategy. We got to get the right people and we got to get the right culture. But ultimately, humans need more than great natural leadership. If, if all we needed was great natural leadership, there's some phenomenal TED Talks out there. Our world would be intact. And it's definitely not. And Ezra and Nehemiah realized that they don't just need leadership. They don't just need principles. They don't just need culture. They need God. And their experience has made it clear. God's people need God's standard, which is God's word. Max Dupree says it like this. The first job of a leader is to define reality. The last job is to say thank you. And in between, the leader becomes the servant. Nehemiah realizes he will best serve the people by helping them discover how they were created, how they were designed to thrive. So he takes them back to the manufacturer's instructions. Nehemiah's like, listen, y'all have missed it. Let me bring you back to the essentials here. Check out what he does in verse 8. It says, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. How many of y'all have read the Bible? Let's be honest. I know we're in church and we're all super spiritual. But how many of y'all have read the Bible and you got done and you're like, well, 
I have no clue what that meant. Let me go on with my day. Anybody been there before, right? It happens. It's easy. Why? Because the word of God is it, different from some textbook. It's alive and, it, and it's, it's, it's led by God's spirit. And it's, right? There's all these unique things about God's word. But Nehemiah says, listen, we're going to go ahead and preach it. But then he has the Levites and, and Ezra, the Torah scholar, come along. And his goal is not just that, not just that people hear it, but that people understand. Disciples, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you studied God's word to understand? Nehemiah realizes, hey, I got to bring in Ezra because I can do a lot of the leadership stuff here, but the people don't just need leadership stuff and they don't just need walls. They need the word and they need to understand it. So what happens when they understand it? Verse 9, then Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law and the Levites instructing the people, they said, this day is holy to the Lord. Don't mourn, don't weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Here's the dots I need to connect for us. When God's word is heard and understood, God's people can respond. They hear the word, and at first they might be like, ah, what exactly? you, you got to remember, this has been at least 100 years. Some Bible scholars estimate over 1,000 years since people had heard and understood his word. It had been around. It had been in the atmosphere. Some of y'all, you, you, you know what I mean. You grew up in church, and you're like, man, I've never heard any of this before. It's like, no, you've actually heard it hundreds of times, but you never understood it. See, when they understood, when they heard and understood, their hearts were moved. Their hearts were pricked. Godly sorrow comes in and they begin to weep. Let me ask you a question, disciple. When's the last time you heard God's word and it made you weep? It should be a barometer, a litmus test. Here's the first application. Spiritual leaders. We, we've, we've begun this series with the premise that we are all called to lead, whether 500, 5, or just yourself. Spiritual leaders, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you allowed God's word to move you? When's the last time you pressed in for understanding? Spiritual leaders, they hear the word. They study the word. They tremble at the word. And then they help others do the same. Point number one is that great leadership is tied to a standard, which brings me to point number two. When God's word is the standard, it brings joy. Everybody say joy. Joy, when God's word is a standard, it brings joy. We can say it in Spanish. What is, is that gozo? Gozo. If we had to say it in Creole, what's that word in Creole? Anybody know? No? I think it's joie. Joie. It brings joy. It brings joy. Nehemiah 8 verse 10, he said to the people, go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. How would you like this as an application to the sermon? Y'all go party. They're like, what? Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing. This day is holy to the Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord. It is your strength. See, Nehemiah was an insightful leader. He was tapped into the need of the moment. Nehemiah realizes, man, these people are kind of whack. They got to repent. There's a need for repentance. There's a need for godly sorrow. But here's the difference. When earthly sorrow brings shame and condemnation, this is, by the way, this is why you can't shame somebody into repentance. People who are being shamed almost never repent. That'll preach to somebody. What happens is when God's word comes alive in people's hearts and it clicks, there's a sorrow that comes when we realize, oh my goodness, I've, I've been doing this and God said to do that and, and he still blessed me and he still loved me and he didn't smite me and he still cared about me and he still healed my dad and he still provided that job. Oh, oh my. And his kindness, scripture says, leads us to what? Repentance. 
Nehemiah realizes they, they, they need some sorrow and there needs to be appropriate repentance, but we don't get strong with sorrow. We get strong with joy. By the way, I, this, this preaches so appropriately to the moment. This has been a season of sorrow. And it's appropriate for us to dig in a little bit and say, man, and maybe in your context of leadership, maybe you've realized, maybe there's been some moments in your business where you're like, listen, we're going to do godly sorrow. That's the need of the moment right now. Maybe you've had to pull around your family and your kids are acting a fool and you're like, it is repentance and godly sorrow time. And there is an appropriate moment for that. But great leaders tap into the reality that there is a time for sorrow, but there is a need for joy. Nehemiah has this leadership insight where he realizes people can easily be overcome with sorrow. And leaders keep a pulse on when enough is enough. He says, listen, enough for sorrow. It's time for joy. Here's my question. How did the joy come? How did the joy come? Is it just like, hey, everybody, let's be happy. Like, oh, look at me. like what, what's happening here, right? Is this just some face, fake, superficial emotional shift verse 12 nehemiah tells him go party verse 12 then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great there's a word joy because they now what does it say understood because they now understood the words that had been made known to them friends i need you to get this great joy comes when you hear god's word preached when you hear god's word proclaimed and then explained so you understand this is vital we see this throughout the totality of scripture. This is Moses and Josiah. This is David and Nehemiah. Wherever God's word goes in abundance, joy is sure to follow. When God's word is the standard, it brings joy. When God's word is the standard, it brings what? Joy. But it must be understood. But it must be understood. Our son Liam is... A trip and awesome and wild in so many ways. He's almost five. You've heard a lot of stories about him. I'm relishing this moment to tell all these stories because he thinks it's awesome right now. And then he's going to be a teenager. You're like, what happened to Liam? Is he still in your family? Be like, yep, but now he's a teenager. He doesn't want no stories of him anymore. Now he thinks he's like a celebrity. So, so Liam, uh, we, we've begun, you know, Nancy and I spend time every single day in God's word. And so we began, especially in this pandemic, being a little bit more intentional about inviting my son into that space. And so he's got his little kid's Bible. We may or may not have done a little bit of bribery, like you can't get your juice until you do your quiet time. I'm like, listen, whatever it takes. And so he's getting into, he's getting into his Bible, and he's reading little stories, and he's in kids' church. I love, you saw Andrea, our kids' director. Man, can we thank God one time for our kids' ministry? Goodness gracious. Andrea on that team, she reminds me all the time. She's like, Pastor John, I just want to remind you, I didn't sign up for babysitting. I signed up to make disciples. I'm like, Amen, Shondo. What do you do your thing? I'm like, okay. And so my son, sure enough, he's learning about Jesus, but he doesn't always get it. I remember one time he brought over his little kid's Bible in the morning. He said, Dad, and I was like so thrilled. He's like, Dad, let's, let's do the thing. Can you read me a story? I was like, oh, and as a parent, you know, you're like, yeah. As a pastor parent, I'm like, winning. And so I'm like, son, what story do you want to read? He's like, I want to read the story where God died. Like, stop recording, put the phone away, delete the video forever. That was not getting posted on social media. I was like, oh, the story where God died. He's like, yeah, I want to read the story where God died. It's like, 
I'm going to have to talk to Andrea about whether they're teaching in kids' church because I just don't know. And then I realized he was talking about the crucifixion story. When God died, right? You know, track it with the kid's mind. And so, so I was like, okay, when God died. And, and, and so I was like, you know, he started with Nana. He started with my mom. I'm from a Jewish background. My dad was a, a Messianic rabbi. He started with Nana when they would say, who is the Lord and Savior? He would say Moses. Um, and now he's graduated from the Old Testament into like half of the New Testament. Like he's still, the God died, hasn't got to resurrection. But, but I was thinking about that and I joke about it. And finally I was like, well, son, you know he came back. He's like, yeah, yeah that's what I want to read. I was like, oh, praise the Lord. Okay, great. Where God died. But it's not just Liam. Like, we, we, we all have partial understandings. We all have gaps in our understanding, and we all need help hearing and understanding God's word. Amen? Anybody else willing to admit that one? We all need one another. God's word forms God's people, and God's joy is their strength, and we all need help to be strong. I saw it this week in our microchurch. My wife and I have been leading the microchurch for... Pff, I don't even know how many years now, maybe 10. I can't even count. And, and we lead a microchurch, and it meets in our home, and some people are in the room, and some people are on Zoom, and all. And, and so this week, we have different people from our microchurch facilitating. So this week, we had a guy named Emmanuel. He brought the teaching. And, man, Emmanuel's got a gift. He's got a teaching gift. He's one of those guys. He's able to kind of tease out Bible thoughts, and, and where someone talks about it, and everyone's like, that he talks about it, and people are like, oh, and he's just got that gift. By the way, the Bible talks about that. There's different gifts he gives to people for the purpose of God's glory. And so Emmanuel's unpacking grace, and, and he's doing this teaching, and you're watching people's eyes light up, and, and he stops, and everyone starts jumping in, asking questions, and, and, and it sort of gets the room moving in a spiritual direction where people's eyes are on Jesus. And, and then we break out after that, and, and one of the guys, Zach, actually, who you see up here in the worship team, he's just been on a kick where he's like, man, John, I want to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying, and I just want to be obedient. I want to be humble, and I want to be obedient and so Emmanuel gets things going with his teaching gift people start looking at Jesus through the Bible Zach starts going on his Holy Spirit thing we end the night praying over a guy he's weeping we're crying God's moving he's like this is incredible we get done and I'm like man God's people need one another to be strong like, there, let me talk to microchurch leaders for a second. Let me talk to any of you that might have that teaching gift where you just seem to talk about the Bible and it just clicks for you in ways that it doesn't for everybody else. We need you to help us be strong. Talked about kids' church. I opened that door. Right now, we're in a moment where we need some Ezra's and some Ezritas, if we're going to say it like that, to step in with these kids and help little Liam's realize, you know, when God died, well, he also came back from the dead. Let me talk to you about this story. We need one another. By the way, I'm literally telling you, we do, we're about to go back to Sundays. We need people to help work with kids. So if you've got a passion for the Bible, children, and or you're like, I'm just open and not a creeper, and you can train me, and I'll be good at it, come holler at your boy, and we'll get you in there. We need help. We need people to come and help break down God's word. Number one, great leadership is tied to a standard. Number two, when God's word is the standard, it brings joy. And finally, the third point, great leaders leverage the power of institutions. Great leaders leverage the power of institutions. Now, you might be there and you're like, wait, wait, wait a second, because right now in this moment, we don't want anything to do with institutions. Right now in this moment, culturally, we say things like, man, why would I need some little piece of paper to validate the love that I have for my significant other? Man, why, why would I need, and we say things like, man, why, why would I need to, to, to go step in some building? Pastor John, the church isn't a building. The church is the people, and we, we preach that actually. So like, well, why would I even need to go to, and we have this almost inceptional, very beginning disdain for any sort of institution. 
for any sort of structure. We live in a moment where it's all about a deconstruction of, of faith and a deconstruction of the, of the modern church structure and the American. And don't you realize, Pastor John, and, and by nature of our tribe, we almost run in that path to some degree with microchurches and our heart for, for real deal discipleship and authentic life on life discipleship. So what's up with institutions? We say it all the time, church isn't a building, it's, it's the people, but, but the people of God overwhelmingly in Scripture are called to gather. In fact, we're told don't stop gathering. We, we had to do it online for eight months, and now we can do it in person. And, and, and when we do that gathering thing as the people of God, we call that church. And so I want to talk about the current moment where we find ourselves as a culture asking questions like, well, well why, Pastor John, would I even need to go to church i mean what's the big deal or or i can just i can just attend online as sort of a bystander we got so, we got a team from guyana they're online but they're watching and they're engaging and they're dialoguing and they're but but you're like well i can just kind of watch at my convenience and just kind of sit back and and observe and take it all in and 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 that's fine and so i want to highlight what's actually happening in nehemiah chapter 8 because i think it's so simple we might miss it nehemiah as a good spiritual leader recognizes that his people need spiritual leadership. Not just natural leadership, not just vision, not just strategy, not just insight, not just culture. They need God. They need God's word. They need to understand it. They need spiritual leadership. They need direction and standard and clarity and strength and joy. So what does Nehemiah do? What does he actually do? Here's what he does. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. He brings in a Bible teacher who puts in a bunch of deep study on God's word. Then he builds him a pulpit. Then he gets him up on a stage. Then he gathers, remember, all the people. He gathers all the people so they can hear the word proclaimed and then taught and then broken down so they can understand it. Does that sound familiar to anybody else? This is what we call, by the way, church. I, I need us to understand, church is not some American invention that we're like, well, it's just some modern thing that's dead. Church is not some American invention that we created to make people popular and, and church celebrities. Church is God's ancient remedy to bring about joy and flourishing for the people of God so they can be healthy and happy and full of joy. I get it. It's entirely possible. You're like, well, you just eat the meat and spit out the bones. I hope you do realize it is possible to eat no meat and spit out the bones, and that's called starvation. This is, this is God's thing from Nehemiah 8. This isn't some modern invention that we've created to make ourselves feel better. This is his rescue mission for humanity. Here's my, here's my first application in this section. Go to church. Like, I, I get it. Go to church. We had a whole sermon titled that. We might bring it back up from the archives this week. Some of you are already here. Some of you are like, I'm here, but I'm engaged online. The first application is go to church. I know this seems so elementary, but I'm telling you we don't do it statistically. Parents, let me talk to parents for a second. You're like, man, I, I want to be a spiritual leader in my household. I want my kids. How many of you parents, you want your kids to know and crave God's word? You want your kids to live by his word, to live by his standard, to be people of the word? Let me give you a tip here. One of the best ways you can spiritually lead your family is by bringing them to church every single week so they can hear the word and have it broken down so they can understand and have joy. 
It's one of the best things you could do. Disciples, followers of Jesus. One of the best ways you can love the people you care about is to leverage your influence to get them to go to church. And by the way, it's not just about going to church. The vision is not just butts and chairs and spiritual attendees. When we go to church, we actually want to be the church. Be the church. Here's my second application. Turn to your neighbor and say, be the church. Be the church. You're like, Pastor John, church isn't a building. Church isn't a building. Man, what's up with the, we all gather in this building and we pretend. You're right. Church isn't a building. It's the people of God when we gather. So if we don't gather, guess what the church is? It's just a building. Do you sense the problem here? When we come, it's, it's about coming and being the church. This whole incredible revival that breaks out in the people of God here in Nehemiah 8 is predicated by a very simple and yet profound truth. They show up. Look at verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, what does it say? All the people, all the people came together as one. All the people, they came together as one. And then God's word was unpacked. And then they began to weep as they understood it. And then Nehemiah said, go party and celebrate. And then God's joy was their strength. But it all started with them coming to the table and showing up. And by the way, they didn't just show up. We're told how they showed up. They showed up as one. They showed up ready. They showed up not just saying, all right, open my gullet. Creed me, pastor. They, they showed up ready. Like, there's a beauty. I'm, I'm not mad at y'all. I love y'all. I know I'm super passionate. I, I see it in every single one of you. There is such a unique kingdom greatness that God has wired in you. And I know there's no way in heaven the greenhouse becomes everything God intends it to be if you don't come ready to be who you've been created to be. The gifts, the talents, the personalities, the perspectives. They're not, just, they're not going to get it from me. They're not going to get it from Pastor Robert. They're not going to get it from Justin, although he's handsome, articulate, and single ladies. I don't know what you're waiting on. They're not going to get it from just us. What's missing in the church? Three letters. Y-O-U. We need you. The vision for the church and corporate worship, biblically, is not something we simply experience it's a problem if we don't leverage online church in the right way. We can just sit back like we watch Netflix and say, come on, Michael Scott, entertain me now. Church is not about something we experience. What we see in Nehemiah 8 is that when all the people came together as one, full of intention, then God shows up. Church is not meant to be simply experienced. We're actually partnering with God to help create it. Create it. And, and here's, my, here's, my, here's my prayer, Greenhouse. Here's my heart. I am praying that we would stop sitting back and consuming something that we were actually meant to help create. Because if we would dare to take God at his word, this city could be changed. This world could be changed. Guyana could be changed. Our nation could be changed. Because God wants to use you. And it's time. You know, I'm excited for, for Sundays at Western because I know a lot of you are watching online. You're like, Pastor John, ah, I want to be there just Saturdays. I'm like, amen. So we're getting back to Sundays at the space we always used to be at. And, and thank God there's vaccines and there's social, there's all sorts of things that we can afford ourselves to. But it's time to come back to church so you can be the church for others because we need you and you need us. 
Here's a second tangible takeaway from Nehemiah's leadership. They celebrate a feast. In the scriptures, these are called the feasts of the Lord. Oftentimes we think of them and talk about them as the Jewish holidays, but my dad always said, God's throwing a party. Everybody's invited. What they discover is that they've forgotten an important institution. Not only were they not gathering for what we call church, the gathering of God's people with intentionality, but they had forgotten the feast. Verse 14, check it out. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. What they discover is, oh my goodness, God gave us this command. And I need us to track with what God's doing here. God gave us this command, and what we were supposed to do is every year we were supposed to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot. That's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Now, why did God give them this command? Because God is a party joy animal. I don't know if you knew this about God. Let, let me explain it to you. The Jewish people, the Israelites, were slaves in Egypt. Guess how many days you get off when you're a slave in Egypt? Settle. None. Zero. Zilch. They have zero days off. And so when they get rescued by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the question is, oh, man, we know what Pharaoh did with his leadership. How's God going to do it? God says, I got a command for y'all. They're like, here it comes. If he could be Pharaoh, I'm sure he's going to be so much more strict. And he says, here's my command. Every seven days, you have to take a day off. They're like, who in the heavens is this? Who is this God? Right? He says, no, no, no. That's not enough, though. Once a year, you, you're not just taking a day off every seven days. Once a year, you need to take seven days off. It's called Sukkot. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to remember how I protected your ancestors way back then when I protected them walking through the wilderness. And for seven days, y'all are going to have a camping trip mixed with a feast, mixed with a party. You're going to eat the best foods. You're going to drink your favorite beverages. You're going to hang out in tents and build these little booths. And y'all are going to have like a camping music festival, God-oriented, read the Bible, fiesta called Sukkot. Does that sound good to anybody else? It's like, that sounds amazing. But God's people forgot. See, it started with them forgetting Sukkot, and eventually they forgot God. And God instituted this festival to remind them of his provision, to remind them of his faithfulness, to remind them of his goodness, to remind them of his ultimate longing for his people, which is not to be subservient spiritual robots. It's to have joy. He com what does it say about a God that commands seven days of joy? Maybe we got him all wrong. Maybe we got him all wrong. I was talking to my best friend Jordan. I'll land it here. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes, to be honest. The worship team come up, we'll land it at some point. But There's a danger of deconstruction without a vision for reconstruction. I was talking to my best friend Jordan and and he had a real spiritual awakening in high school. He was actually the guy that was praying for me and inviting me to church when I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And, and then he hit a really rough patch in life. And, and like so many maybe of our peers and contemporaries, maybe some of you watching online right now, he began this process of what is now called deconstruction. He began to deconstruct his faith. And, and to be fair, there were some dead religious elements of what he used to look to as that was not the way of Jesus. It was just more so dead Christianity, dead religion. But, but he, he just began to deconstruct his faith. And, and, and what started with maybe a good intention ended up as a nightmare as he dipped into a really dark depression, suicidal thoughts, all sorts of horrible places. And, and for years felt so distant from God, even though God was right there. And this is what he said to me. I was talking to him a few weeks ago. He's like, man, John, I, he said, I wish somebody would have told me 
because they cheered me on like, deconstruct, yeah, Jordan, do it, yeah. He said, I wish someone would have told me to have caution in my deconstruction because some walls are load-bearing walls. He said, in an effort to deconstruct, I tore down rhythms. I tore down principles. I tore down theologies. I tore down passages that were load-bearing walls, and my whole building crumbled. Here's my encouragement to you, friends. Maybe you're watching online right now. I need you to know there are actually institutions constructed by God for the safety and flourishing of his people. And if we are not careful and circumspect in our deconstruction, we will deconstruct load-bearing walls to our doom. Let me give you some examples. Don't forsake assembling together as some people do. Who said that? God. That's a load-bearing wall. Don't neglect the public reading of scripture. By the way, that's what we do every single weekend in macro church when we gather together. Who said that? God. It's a load-bearing wall. Don't forget what God did. This is where the feasts are so helpful. Man, maybe that's an application for somebody. You're like, what, what, what is that? That's what God said. It's a load-bearing wall. The problem, friends, isn't institutions. The problem is bad institutions or dead institutions. And the solution is not no institutions. It's God's institutions. God's institutions are for the purpose of getting God's people into God's word to experience God's joy. And great leaders leverage the power of God's institutions. Let me ask you a question as an application point. What institutions do you need to establish in your leadership, in your life, in your family, in your business, in the circle of influence that God has given you. Maybe it's daily set-apart time seeking God in the Word and in prayer. Maybe you've pushed off on that and said, oh, I don't want to just be religious. I don't want to just, just go through the motions. No, you don't, but you need that time. Maybe it's a weekly Sabbath. Maybe it's a weekly gathering with God's people, micro and macro. Maybe it's giving first the tithe and generosity, missions. Can I encourage you to institutionalize, create habits and rhythms when it comes to your devotion to God and his word, and then obey what he says because God's word forms God's people and God's joy is their strength. God's word forms God's people and God's joy is their strength, but we forget. We drift, which is why the word became flesh. This is actually my closing story. We have a daughter, her name is Lucia, she's almost two, and I love this little girl. Also wild, love her. And she's, she, I think she's gonna be real musical, she's always singing, she just makes up songs, she's always dancing around the house, and it's just full of joy. And so she started doing this thing, Nancy told me, I still haven't gotten it on video, I really wanna see it, but apparently when she hears a garage door open, she starts dancing around the house going, dead that home, dead that home, dead that home, dead that home, it's super cute, right? She goes, she goes around, dead that home, dead that home, and, and, and so Nancy told me about this, I was like, oh my goodness, I gotta see this one time, but I don't see dead that home. Dad, dad, home, the dad, dad, home dance, that, that comes at the expectation of dad, dad. Here's what I see, though. If I come in the house, she's dancing at the thought. She's dancing at the expectation. But if I come in the house, there is only one thing that is suitable. And if I don't do this one thing, all of the household will hear it in screams of disgust. She runs up to me and she says, hold me. Dad, dad, home, dad, dad, home. That's what she's doing before. But when I walk through the door, beeline it. Hold me. Because it's presence that she ultimately longs for. And it's presence that she desires. And she's not satisfied until I pick her up. 
Now let me connect this with this whole deal about Sukkot. What's the big deal about Sukkot? What's the big deal about God saying, hey, do this festival and, and remember what I did way back then. Oh, God, that's just some dead institution. God, that's just some, some dead tradition. God, we're so modern now. We've evolved so much and so the people stopped doing it. But here was the problem. God knew that they needed to keep this up because at some point the word would become flesh. At some point, John says that, that Jesus... The word became flesh and the word is, and he came down and he dwelt with us. That word dwelt is the same word used for Sukkot. It's tabernacled. Jesus came and he tabernacled with us. Jesus comes, the God man, and he tabernacles in this suit, this temporary dwelling of flesh. And God says, I need you to remember Sukkot because if you remember Sukkot, then you won't miss Jesus. And the same God who wanted his people to remember back then, wants us to remember right now, friends, the word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And he came down into our brokenness and he came down to our mess. And like when I'm walking into the house at the end of a day and Lucy comes up and says, Dad, Dad, hold me. He said, listen, I'm not just gonna give you stories anymore. I'm gonna give you me. And he reached down into our darkness, into our pain, into our sickness, into our depravity, and he picked us up. And through Jesus, there is now possible a joy and a strength that lasts the word written on our hearts. And friends, he is here. He loves you. He cares for you so deeply. Maybe you're watching online and you're just at the end of your rope right now. You're like, man, I just, I need something. You need Jesus. And he cares for you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you. And he's the longing of your soul. Let's pray. You can close your eyes and bow your head if that helps just for a moment of quiet and privacy between you and God. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you came. We needed the standard. We needed the word. And we couldn't grab it as something on the outside. So you incarnated to give us an example. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but there's something stirring in your heart that says, man, this is what I need. I, I, I need to be made right with God. Maybe you've been trying religion. You've been trying the, the thoughts on the outside and you can't seem to be who you long to be and you can't seem to do what you long to do. It's because you cannot do it on your own. You need the word that became flesh. You need Jesus. You need his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness. If you'd like to give up on religion, this, this mere standard on the outside that is unattainable and turn to Jesus and through Jesus, God's word, his spirit on the inside. If you'd like to do that wherever you're at, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air and say, that's me. That's me. I need to turn to Jesus to make him Lord, to make him leader, wherever you're at, online as well. Say, that's me. Even right there in your, in your chair, there's no magic formula here. It's just a heartfelt prayer. Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I need your grace. I can't do this on my own. Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus. And, and this morning, or if you're watching sometime later on demand, you sense the Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. And you know it's time to return to God's word, to God's standard. Maybe to some of these godly institutions that you've pushed off on and neglected and you know it's time to set some of these back up to find God's joy to help you remember wherever you're at you say God I'm listening I'll do it I'll do it why don't we stand to our feet we're going to close in a final chorus here if I could get some of our prayer partners up here to line the front 
If you're watching online, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you in your faith journey. Right there, you can request prayer on the chat. You can text Jesus to the number that's on the screen. And, and, and myself, one of our pastoral team, one of our staff, we'll text you back. We'll call you. We can meet up for coffee, whatever works best for you. But we'd love to connect with you, walk with you on your faith journey. You're welcome to join us in this final chorus. If you're here in the room, as soon as we start to sing, you're welcome to come forward. We'll pray with you. We'll keep social distancing. We'll keep some space, whatever you feel comfortable with. But, but if you sense God stirring your heart, if you raise your hand, you're like, I want to follow Jesus. I don't really know what that means, but I, I want to do it. I'd love some help, answer some questions. Maybe you're just here and you're like, man, I, I, I just need prayer. I need encouragement. We would love to pray with you. We got a bunch of ordinary people up here who are learning to follow Jesus passionately. I know every single one of them. They are amazing. You want to connect with them, trust me. But as Kayla leads us in this final chorus, let's sing. And if you'd like some prayer, why don't you come? shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your shalom, shalom, perfect peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. God bless you guys. Looking forward to seeing you back at Western two weeks.